Welcome, friend. I hope you're well. You're listening to the Mr. X Dreams Podcast, where I regale you with stories of all things paranormal. Now, whether these stories come from my listeners, my own personal and family experience, or fictional stories from my own imagination, all stories you'll hear here are written and performed by yours truly. Make sure you follow this podcast for countless journeys to come. If you're listening on a rating-supported platform, like Apple iTunes, a five-star review would be very much appreciated. If you have a scary story of your own, reach out at mr.xdreams54 at gmail.com. That's mr.xdreams54 at gmail.com. And share your story with me. You might even hear it on a future episode. Now, sit back, relax, and spend a moment or two here in my world. I'm Mr. X, and welcome to my dreams. This episode is a part of a series of my older recordings I did for the Mr. X Dreams YouTube channel. If you're listening to the podcast version, please excuse references to YouTube and subscribers and things like that. Consider it a relic of the past. If you're the type to prefer visuals along with your stories, I usually put artwork and motion graphics to go along with the experience. You can find those videos over at youtube.com by searching Mr. X Dreams. We'll talk again soon. Greetings, friends. I titled this story Black-Eyed Children because, to be honest, that's the only recognizable description I could think of. As you will see, the children in this story were almost the negative of what you would commonly hear of black-eyed children. Normally, these are children with inky black eyes who try to convince unsuspecting homeowners to let them in at night. You'll see the difference later on. This is a true story, and both myself and my real-life younger brother were a part of it. It all started one afternoon, when I was about age 12 or 13. My younger brother Steve, who you may know by now, was around 10 years old. We found a new park about 20 minutes away from where we lived. We rode our bikes there along with a few of the neighborhood kids we used to run with. There were already some bigger kids playing tackle football so we joined in with them. Though I was a better fit for the game, being an unusually tall and strong boy, with my brother being smaller at the time, he was never one to back down from a good game. He definitely held his own, running circles around the larger kids, using his speed and agility to his great advantage on the field. Unfortunately, he still took several hits. Eventually, he began to complain to me about having a bad headache. Disheartened, he decided it was time to quit and ride home on his bike. I stayed behind to finish the game, feeling guilty for letting him go home alone, but not wanting to patronize or make him feel coddled. I noticed as he rode off, disappearing from my view, that he wasn't going back the way we came for some reason. This was long before the days of cell phones, so I simply had to trust that he knew what he was doing, or at least could find his way home safely. I continued on to finish the intense game and headed home, expecting to find Steve there waiting for me. He wasn't. Steve wasn't quite sure which way he came from, so he just got on his bike and started riding. After a block or two, he saw a small Scottish terrier 
It looked a bit old and tired. Salt and pepper gray fur with a tuft of white, resembling a beard and mustache on its face. A red and green plaid scarf was tied loosely around his neck, giving him a rather adorably authentic Scottish look. The dog started to follow him. It all seemed playful at first, so he tried reaching out to pet it while still on the bike, riding as the dog scurried alongside him. Unexpectedly, though, the dog nipped at him. Surprised, he reached out again and the dog bit his finger. He decided to give up and ignore the dog, but it kept on following. The little terrier then jolted out in front of the bike, spreading its body on the ground laterally as if to force my brother into changing course. Steve pressed his brakes and veered to avoid hitting the dog, which had begun to snarl and moved erratically, lunging at the bike a second time. Steve started getting the feeling there was an intent behind the animal's actions. Perhaps it was acting as trained for a specific purpose. He thought maybe it belonged to an owner, perhaps an elderly person who had fallen down and needed help. The Scotty Dog, as he called it, appeared to be trying to guide him toward a certain street. He followed, thinking someone must have needed help. The dog led him to a dead-end street, a cul-de-sac with a single house at the end of it. The dog darted off down the road, stopping every so often to make sure Steve was still following. As he got closer to the house, he noticed two children standing side by side on the sidewalk out front, a boy and a girl. They both had bleach blonde, almost white hair, and wore ornate, baby blue clothing. The boy was dressed like a figure skater, a frilly button-up shirt and shorts. He had an archaic-looking hinged metal brace on one leg, and wore a pair of those Dutch wooden shoes. The girl wore an old English-style dress with a fluffy skirt. The two children looked like the porcelain dolls at your grandmother's house, the ones that no one ever plays with. Steve said that as soon as he got within twenty yards of the children, he was hit with a deep sense of dread and horror. He didn't think they could physically hurt him, but his fight-or-flight instinct was instantly triggered, like a panic button being pressed frantically in his mind. It was the visceral reaction of prey in the face of a predator. He knew that if he tried to run away, they would see his fear and he would somehow suffer for the attempt. He pretended to be unafraid and continued toward them knowing that at that point, there was no chance of avoiding the confrontation. The dog ran up and sat quietly next to the kids. Steve puffed out his chest, trying to make himself seem larger, even though he already towered over the diminutive pair. When he got close enough, the boy leapt forward and grabbed the handlebars of the bike, placing his legs on either side of the front wheel, restricting my brother's movements while also invading his personal space. He could feel the immense strength of the small, frail-looking boy immobilizing the bike. The girl walked up slowly as the boy stared at him. Steve averted his eyes, fearful of looking at the children directly as they asked him a barrage of questions. They wanted to know his name, where he lived. He hesitantly responded with lies, saying that his name was Jimmy and that he wasn't from around there, trying to deflect as many questions as he could. The boy and girl took turns asking invasive questions in a unilateral conversation. They asked the questions, and he gave the answers. Every so often he tried to interject with his own question, but they never acknowledged his attempts. 
they would simply ask another question which he then felt compelled to answer. He was afraid of lying to them in the same way a boy would have reservations, lying to any authority such as a parent, a teacher, or a police officer. In this interrogation, Steve described the boy as being the obvious bad cop, his eyes relentlessly grilling my brother and demanding answers. The girl, on the other hand, was more of a good cop character, her eyes softer, her demeanor less invasive, more inviting and warm. While the boy offered nothing, the girl offered enticing prospects and deals, instead of just telling him what to do. Steve had the distinct sense, though, that the girl was actually the one in control. Unlike normal black-eyed children who try to convince unsuspecting home dwellers to let them in, these incessantly invited him to go inside their house. The environment around the house seemed hazy and out of focus. His memory of the house itself is obscure at best. All he remembers about it is its dark, oaken color and a tall, prominent stained glass window on the front door. His focus was on the two terrifying children, with a special attention to avoiding eye contact with either of them. He made the mistake of looking into the girl's eyes, once, and only once. They were almost a white crystal blue with nearly invisible, pinpointed pupils. She kept maneuvering her face into his field of view, as if to make him look into her eyes again. He never looked at the boy's face directly, a fact that seemed to infuriate the bizarre child. Steve described the encounter as the feeling of being challenged by a wolf when you've stumbled upon its territory. His body was burning to get out of the confrontation. He felt like he was drowning. The girl kept saying that they had treats in the house, while the boy insisted adamantly that Steve come inside for a game of cards. He noticed that their language was the most generic English he had ever heard. No contemporary lingo or unusual terminology. Nothing to place them in any particular time or space. Finally, Steve told the children he had somewhere to be, and of course, they asked where, what, and why. He knew the only way to get out alive was to talk his way out. At this time in his life, he was short-fused and no stranger to a good fight. Even in his youth, however, he knew in his heart. This was not a mere battle of the body, but a contest of the mind. He decided to make them a deal. He told them that he had a headache and needed to go home, but that he was a frequent visitor to the area and hung out there all the time. This was a lie, being that it was our first time there. He assured them he'd try to come back to play with them the next day, and if not then, he'd come find them the day after. After a deafening silence, the boy's face displayed an angry expression, and he said he didn't know if that would work. Steve gave them his word, but the girl asked, Do you promise? With a look of slight mistrust, but willingness to give my brother the benefit of the doubt, he promised. The boy then asked with a grave tone, Do you swear? Steve could feel the boy's glare cut deeply into him. We were always taught never to swear, but he knew it was the only way to get away, so he said yes. He swore. The boy looked back at the girl for confirmation, and she stared back at him silently. 
He reluctantly peeled his fingers off my brother's handlebars and let the bike go. His nostrils flared as his breathing grew heavy and labored with frustration. With the first welcome feelings of relief starting to flush over his face, Steve told them to relax, that he'd be back. He rode back to the corner and pedaled as hard as he could, non-stop. He went so fast that he thought his muscles would explode through his skin. He arrived home at twilight, crashing his bike on the front lawn and getting up in one smooth motion to run into the house, looking for me. He found me in my room and tried to tell me everything, rambling barely intelligible words in his panic and excitement. I asked him to calm down, and he explained himself more clearly. He said he remembers me listening intently from start to finish. He expected skepticism and was waiting for me to roll my eyes at the story, but instead was relieved to see my eyes darting back and forth in thought as I processed the information, taking in every word. He was relieved to see my open-mindedness. It made him feel a bit more validated. After pondering it all, I said to him, You know what we have to do. We need to go back there. The next morning, I called a meeting of all the neighborhood boys, knocking on doors and rounding everyone up. Steve made sure I was the one to tell the story, being the understood ringleader of the ragtag crew of about thirteen local kids. As I recounted to everyone what happened to my brother, with him standing by my side, we could hear hushed murmurs and snickering among the group, but that faded away gradually as the story went on. I told them that I was assembling a party to investigate the area where it took place. Only about half the boys volunteered. We formed up with all our bikes and as many handheld weapons as we could find. Baseball bats. Hockey sticks. I myself was armed with one of my signature hand-carved wooden swords. Steve led the charge backed by me and around half a dozen squad members bringing up the rear, the most loyal guys in the crew. He retraced his steps but couldn't find the house. In fact, we couldn't even find the mysterious dead-end street, despite us knowing that we were in the correct area and that there was only the span of a few blocks where it could possibly be. He looped around the pathway he took many times, and we eventually had to give up and head home. To be honest, most of us were probably relieved that we wouldn't have to confront such a bizarre place as the house with the stained glass window, let alone the two terrifying children who resided there. I, myself, having a particular interest in the weird, was a bit disappointed. As I interviewed my brother for his side of this story, my mind shifted back to the promise, the oath he made to the strange, white-eyed children. I wonder if they've forgotten or forgiven his promise to someday come back and play with them. Steve has a child of his own now. I can only hope and pray that she never finds herself lost on a dead-end road, with those two porcelain figures standing at the end. Just to be safe, I hope she never runs into a little Scotty dog on her way home from the park, as her father once did. Thank you so much for listening, my friend. If you enjoyed this video, please give it a thumbs up and subscribe, and share it if you want. Don't forget to check out my other videos as well. I have a growing library of true scary stories, along with an original, episodic story I'm writing called The Dreamer. Everything on my channel is written and performed by me, unless otherwise noted. I'm Mr. X, and may your nights be full of dreams.
Greetings, friends. First of all, I'd like to thank each and every one of you for your support. As I have requested, so many of you have reached out to me, explaining your experiences ranging from the bizarre to the terrifying. I want to thank you all for coming forward and letting me tell your stories. Now, I present to you two shadow people encounters from among you, my dear and faithful dreamers. Here we go. Number one, a submission from my dear friend, False Reaper. For as long as she could remember, she's been plagued with sightings and experiences with various dark entities, including shadow people. She can trace back the feelings of dread to her very earliest years. And because of this, she wasn't quite sure where to start. She told me that she normally avoids telling people about these events for fear of ridicule, but hopes that her story can be of some use to me. I tell you, friend, you came to the right place. False Reaper has, over time, learned to live with seeing these bizarre things. It's all a part of her own, personal hidden world, in that she doesn't often share the details. After all, who wants to have people thinking you're crazy? To start with, she decided to tell me about the entity that's been with her the longest. She admits that her memory is not all that great, and that she seems to have forgotten a lot of her childhood. But one thing that stands out in sharp definition is her shadow follower. The figure has even been seen by her friends on occasion. The most potent of these was at a sleepover one night, at her best friend's apartment in Anaheim, California. That night, False Reaper was sound asleep in her friend's room, along with a couple of the other girls scattered about. All was quiet except for one girl, Anna, who was awake, sitting up in bed and playing around on her computer. As she typed away on the keyboard, Anna could see through a doorway into the kitchen, which was out of focus as she stared at the bright screen. The kitchen area was faintly illuminated by the light coming in from outside but she noticed a disturbing blot of darkness just beyond the edge of her screen. When she lifted her eyes to see what it was, she noticed a pronounced, black silhouette of a person standing in front of the refrigerator. Anna was instantly filled with dread and could not get herself to move for several minutes as the figure seemed to stare directly at her. Eventually, she was able to slowly close the laptop and sink down into the bedsheets. Not knowing what else to do, she simply forced herself to go to sleep. The next morning, Anna told False Reaper what she saw, and False Reaper had no choice but to admit that the shadow person was known to follow her throughout her life. She explained to me that the mysterious figure had appeared to her many other times, but never more than a few minutes. She's seen it running down the halls in her house, sitting beside her bed at night, or hovering over her, appearing to watch intently as she drifts off to sleep. Unlike many shadow encounters, she never felt like the figure meant her any harm. She even has the feeling that it may have protected her from other, possibly malevolent beings. Number 2. A Submission from a Dear Friend, Brian Many of the people who encounter shadow creatures have always known them as an unexplainable fact of life 
the shadows have been around, watching them, essentially forever. This is the case with another of your fellow dreamers, Brian. He used to catch fleeting glimpses of them from a distance, popping into the world only for a few seconds before vanishing again the way they came. He found himself, in the past, able to largely brush them off as figments of his imagination. However, over the past three years, that began to change. In his words, things have gotten worse. It started one night. There was a full moon and not a cloud in the sky. Brian woke up from his sleep at around 2am to have a glass of water. As he walked past his dining room, he looked out the window and saw a menacing dark figure standing outside. He couldn't pick out any specific features. It was a vague, humanoid shape, which stood in contrast with the bright moonlight shining into the window. He turned on a light, and the dark form vanished instantly. Brian was admittedly freaked out. The feelings brought about from the encounter subsided as several months passed without incident. Being the kind of guy who needs noise in order to get to sleep, Brian put on an online radio show which played through the speakers of his computer. He lay down on his side, facing away from his bedroom window and closed his eyes. Moments later, the sound on his computer suddenly cut off. His eyes shot open and darted around in the darkness. He felt a presence of seething anger and hatred emanating from the side of his bed behind his back. The presence grew closer to his body, seeming to lean in, reaching over the bed as the paralysis of fear took his senses away. Before the terror could take hold completely, Brian lashed out, attempting to defend himself. His punch made contact with something in the dark, and he quickly rolled out of bed and turned on the lights, only to find that he had just struck a desk fan from its place. I myself know how it feels to be in the presence of a shadow person who hates you, for whatever reason. The most intense encounter Brian has had so far is also the most recent. He had been asleep for about an hour when he was awakened by the sensation of a part of his bed sinking. Near his feet, he could feel the mattress compressed down under the weight of another person. He tried to ignore it lying perfectly still and pretending no one was there. He managed to hold on to the ruse until the weight began to shift, making its way up toward his head. His systems were propelled into fight or flight, feeling the danger at the imminent approach of the thing on his bed. He jumped up, flung his sheets toward the depression and began punching blindly. It took him a minute to realize that he was punching his bed and he leaned over to turn the lights on, finding nothing out of place. Brian told me that he wonders if what happens to him is truly real, or if he's simply losing his mind. He said he was nervous about what may lie ahead for him. Keep listening if you want to hear my personal thoughts. I'll be including this short segment after certain stories, whenever it makes sense to do so. I see this as an opportunity to give you a bit of insight on how I see the world, and to provide more material for questions and discussions in the comments section below. I want all of my viewers to feel comfortable discussing these bizarre events amongst themselves and with me. 
to False Reaper, I thank you so much for your story. I know you were hesitant to share it, and you wondered if it would be of any use, but I assure you, it is of great meaning to me, and beyond me, to many others. There's no telling what effect this could have on people who may have had similar experiences in life. To Brian, thank you, my friend. I've had many encounters like this of my own, and though I could never guess how many were truly encounters with real shadow people, the unknown is a funny thing indeed. Only you know what you saw and felt during those moments of terror. Mankind has always had a visceral reaction to darkness and the unknown, one which is built into us for our own survival. What we do not have, as a whole, is the ability to understand all planes of existence. I often wonder, who's to say that we ourselves aren't the shadow people of someone else's world? If you have experiences with shadow people, dogmen, or any other anomalies you'd like to share, please do reach out to me. I very much enjoy reading your messages and talking one-on-one -on -one with each one of you. The work I do here is normally a one-way arrangement, so it's nice to hear from a fellow believer every now and then. So hey, drop me a line if it tickles your fancy. Until next time, my friends, I'm Mr. X, and may your nights be full of dreams. My name is Steve. I used to be a power line worker out of Arkansas, but have since retired after becoming one of the oldest guys hanging around on the job. The encounter I'm about to share happened to my boss and I back in the spring of 2001, in a town called El Dorado, just north of the Louisiana state border. My boss, Davis, had me meet him out in a remote area of North Arkansas to work on the lines there. The location, appropriately named Devil's Hollow, was known to be very dangerous, being occupied by a crazy backwoods family that was often seen scurrying about in the woods. The boss himself even had a run-in with them once, which made me even more angry that he dragged me out there with him. The whole ride there, all I could think about was how pissed off I was. I decided I would get back at him the first chance I got. I pulled up to the dusty service station after the 8th or 9th unpaved backcountry road I had to take. It was a small building which we used to route power lines through the woods. The power company is supposed to clean and maintain the stations, so they don't fade back into the wilderness upon which they're built. Judging by the dirt and overgrown weeds surrounding this property, I'm guessing someone missed a memo somewhere. Davis hadn't arrived yet so I had to wait around by myself. He showed up after about a half an hour, and we got to work loading up our belts with the necessary equipment for the project, before getting back in his truck and heading down the dirt road. The air in the woods was particularly hot and damp that day. The sun was high in the sky and beat down on the weathered vehicle like no other. There was a sluggish breeze trying desperately to move the branches, but to no avail. We were a couple of miles in when I started hearing the sounds of sticks and leaves cracking. We were driving slowly due to the narrow road, 
otherwise I probably wouldn't have noticed. For some reason, I thought nothing of it and chose not to mention anything to Davis. I guess I figured that since it was broad daylight, the odd noise here or there was a lot less creepy than it would be in the dark. We came up to an area where the road stopped, and we had to proceed into the bush on foot. One of the points we had to work on was over a mile deep into the area that was inaccessible by motor vehicle. The road was just too overgrown. Making our way through the brush, some of which was waist high or even higher, we were constantly getting scraped and pricked by various types of wild growth. Once I realized we wouldn't even be able to see our destination for a while, my eyes began to wander around passively analyzing the surrounding woods as we trucked along. At different points, I noticed some strange things. Areas of the brush that seemed to have been flattened or plowed through, almost like what you'd see if someone somehow drove a pickup straight through some parts. Trees were snapped at different heights and at odd angles. I've never been a huge believer in things like Bigfoot but I had definitely heard rumors of bizarre creatures lurking in the wilderness. I'm no softy, but I also have no interest in pushing my luck. I started to speak up, finally telling Davis that there was something fishy going on and that we should go back to the truck, which was at least a mile and a half away at that point. Of course, he barely acknowledged me and just kept pushing forward into the thickets. Another very loud crack of a large tree branch breaking nearby, just up ahead of where we were, followed by a deep, billowing, whooping sound. That was enough to make me decide to turn back. The hairs on the back of my neck stood up and I got goosebumps all over. I wasn't really scared, but I just had the feeling that we needed to get the hell out of there. Davis disagreed, but that literally could not have mattered less at the time. Not to me, anyway. I calmly did an about-face and started back to the truck. I must have been traveling at a decent clip because I covered that mile and a half in just over fifteen minutes. When I got there, I plopped down into the passenger seat and laid my head back, resting my eyes. About fifteen minutes later, I saw Davis's head bobbing up and down, in and out of the bush, as he ran as fast as he could toward the truck. Thinking back at how pissed I was at him for dragging me out there, I quickly pushed down the manual locks on the door and shut my eyes, pretending to be asleep. I kept one eye cracked open to watch him come hobbling out of the brush. His eyes were bugged out and looked like he hadn't blinked all day. His face looked ragged and flushed. He even had little tears all over his clothes from the rough plant life. His body slowed down by the second as he made his way to the truck and tried the handle, somehow looking even more shocked when the door didn't budge. He shook the handle so hard that the whole truck rocked back and forth, making it impossible for me to reasonably continue faking being asleep. Just to make sure he learned his lesson, I pretended to be dazed and confused when I woke up, just to give him a few extra moments of panic that could have easily been avoided by simply listening to me earlier. When Davis finally jumped into the driver's seat, he threw the car into gear and punched it all the way back to the spot where my car was parked and told me to get out. I think I may have managed to get back into my truck without my feet even touching the ground, 
I was so anxious to get out of there. I never told Davis about how I faked sleeping just to mess with him. I eventually asked him what he saw that day, and what he described has stuck with me ever since. He said it was a hulking beast, nine feet tall, and six feet wide at the shoulders like a living wall. He said it was covered in jet black fur and had deep set, beady looking eyes that seemed to exude a pure, distilled evil intent. He told me the creature bluff charged at him, and he turned and ran, not stopping until he got to the truck, having run himself half to death. I actually felt bad doing what I did after hearing about how terrified he was. Even more so now that I've had a much closer encounter of my own. I recently invited an elderly man to my home for an interview. I had previously mentioned to his daughter that I was looking for scary stories, and he had mentioned to her that he had one he'd like to share. We sit down on lawn chairs in my back patio. The pitter-patter of a light rain comes in from outside. He nestles down into the seat, folding his hands and closing his eyes, a stern expression slowly taking over his face. He begins to recount to me, a personal, heartbreaking story from the dark side of his homeland. You see, in Haiti, there are mystical practices and superstitions abound. Spirits and magical creatures are said to own the streets of some rural communities after the sun dips below the horizon. The old man I interviewed, I'll call him Rick, told me the tragic story of his mother, a lovely, strong and beautiful woman who cherished her family dearly, she was the proud mother of seven healthy children, but unfortunately, there was a local couple who wanted her dead for some mysterious reasons. They would constantly attempt to poison her food and water supply, and would frequently be heard shouting curses and trying to cast bad spirits onto her and her family. One day, his mother suddenly fell ill. Her condition deteriorated quickly, and she soon passed away. Rick who was already in America at the time, received a phone call from his eldest sister, who was still living with the mother. She was distraught, crying and insisting that the enemies had finally gotten their way. A burial was arranged, just a couple of days after Rick's mother drew her last breath. It was a sorrowful occasion, with dozens of people coming to mourn their beloved sister and neighbor. Rick was regrettably unable to afford the trip back home to attend the ceremony. His mother was placed in a wooden casket and left on a pedestal in the cemetery to be interred the next day. That night, one of Rick's younger brothers was walking home from visiting family, taking a path that led him by the cemetery. He was stopped in his tracks when he saw a group of cloaked men standing in a circle around his mother's casket. Hiding in the foliage nearby, just off the well-traveled road, he watched as the men, in unison, called out his mother's name. His eyes widened and then shut tight, flinching at the sound of cracking wood slicing through the warm night air. His mother's arms came bursting through the lid of the coffin, and she sat up. A tired, blank expression carved into the weathered, yet beautiful features of her face. She seemed to stare into the night without a thought in her mind. His dearly departed mother had become a shell of her former self. 
she had become a zombie. The young boy looked on in horror as one of the hooded men took his mother's hand and led her out of the shattered box. He began quietly trotting down the path as fast as he could, trying to get home to tell his sisters. As he was explaining what he had seen, they began to hear several sets of footsteps approaching the house. Grass crinkling and cracking produced clear indications of their ominous presence. The strange, cloaked men were circling the house with their mother in tow, guiding her by a twine cord wrapped about her neck. Her shambling gait could be heard distinctly from those of the men. With each revolution around the house, the hooded men called out in a singular, booming voice the names of each of the children. Even Rick's name was called, though he wasn't present at the time. The children all knew the legends surrounding this particular ritual. They were calling the names of each child in order to offer the opportunity for the mother to be claimed by her family. But the fear and danger of the moment left them all paralyzed, cowering within the relative safety of the home's walls. When the men had completed seven revolutions around the house, they stood out front, declaring one final chance for the mother to be reclaimed by her family. Their call, once again, went unanswered. The mysterious entourage withdrew immediately into the night, taking the mother with them for their own purposes. Throughout the following weeks, she appeared within the dreams of her eldest daughter, explaining that she had been taken very far away and would never be able to see her children again. In the dreams, she asked why this had happened to her. Her daughter never had an answer. The young woman had the same dream over and over again, racking her mind with the guilt of leaving her mother to such a fate. Months later, a man approached one of the daughters, offering her the chance to follow him to an unknown location and promising that he would reunite her with her lost mother. She ran from him, terrified of meeting the same dismal fate of becoming zombified consigned to a labor camp to work day and night, being abused in various ways and treated like an animal. Rick sits in the chair in my home as I listen to his heartbreaking story, typing away at the notes on my laptop. With tears in his eyes and a slow exhale, he concedes to me that he would have gone with the strange man, that he would have gone to any distance and faced any danger for even the slightest chance of seeing his beloved mother again. I close my laptop screen and we sit in complete stillness. No sound but that of the gentle breeze coming in through the screened walls of the patio. Thanks for listening, friends. I have several more of these interview-based horror stories planned for the near future. Let me know what you thought about it. Don't forget to like and subscribe for more content like this. Dear Mr. X, you can call me Cyborg Sater. I may not be a werewolf, or otherwise very interesting, but I do have an experience to share with you. A long time ago, I went camping at a wilderness reserve here in New Mexico, called Oasis State Park. Trust me when I tell you that hearing a howl in the middle of the night can be quite unnerving, especially when your only protection is the nylon wall of a tent. Here in New Mexico, However, coyotes are everywhere, and it's not uncommon. Anyway, I decided one week to go camping with a friend from church, along with his father and sister. 
I was in a tent by myself and was getting ready to head out to the bathroom. I had taken a leak on a tree earlier that night, but this time I had some serious business to take care of, if you know what I mean. So I opted to take the quick walk through the woods to get to the real bathroom facilities. Just to be safe, I always unzip a small section of my tent door before walking outside, in case there's an animal waiting for me out there, especially at night. I checked, and the coast was clear, or so I thought, and I was about to unzip it the rest of the way before I heard a loud howling sound that shook the flimsy walls of my tent. Now. I'm very accustomed to hearing coyote howls, but while this one had a similar feel to it, there was definitely something alarmingly off. It was deeper, more menacing. My gut reaction was to freeze, so I did. As the howl continued to echo into the night air, it was replaced by the sound of gravel scraping toward me, coming from behind my tent. I was forced to sit there in shock as a gigantic mass of dark brownish gray fur lumbered into my view. I knew that if I even tried to move the zipper, I would regret it. It was tall and slender yet very muscular. The imposing figure stood up on its hind legs, with its back thankfully toward me as it peered into the woods. I watched as it walked over to the tree I'd urinated on earlier. I could hear the raspy sound of it sniffing the air. Sort of like the sound of a dog sniffing, but much deeper and longer drags of air. The creature turned and looked directly at me, surely having noticed my breathing. I realized at that moment that I had been making absolutely no efforts to breathe silently. I was expecting the worst, but the creature simply dropped down on all fours and shrugged back toward the wooded area, vanishing into the night without bothering me at all. Apparently. Peeing on a tree was a good enough sign that the area was mine. Needless to say, I never went to the bathroom. I know some people might be tempted to say that it was just some weirdo wearing coyote skins or a fur coat. I promise you, it couldn't have been. The fur wasn't very thick, and I could see its muscles ripple as it moved around. Even more convincing was the fact that the fur was completely flush with the skin. One weird thing I forgot to mention was when the thing went down to its four legs, I heard its knees making a loud, stomach-turning, popping sound. Imagine the sound of you popping your knuckles, and then amplify that by about 60. Its knees had to basically bust out and slide into different positions for it to walk on all fours. Anyway, that's my short encounter with what I believe was a dogman, or a coyote man, or whatever it was. When I asked my friend and his family if they heard the howl, they said they did but just ignored it, hoping the animal would go away. Ever since then, I've been fascinated by stories of wolfmen. I may do my own research on it someday, but giving you this story so that maybe others can learn is enough for now. Thanks for listening. Dear Mr. X, it's me, Becca. We've spoken in the comments of your videos before. I was thinking about Randy's story, the one where an unexplainable cryptid appeared to try and take the place of his child. I believe that what he was dealing with may have been a mimic. I know it's sort of a bizarre coincidence, but I have heard of something like that before. 
In my research and experience, I find that cinnamon seems to work at warding off mimics. It worked for the family of a friend of mine, and that's actually the story I have for you today. This happened when I was a little girl back in the early 90s, maybe around 93. I had a friend named Sandy. She was an only child until the age of about four, when her sister Faye was born. One summer, when Sandy was about seven years old, her parents decided to take a cross-country road trip to Disney World in Florida. The family had a great time at the park, and as many of us know, the days went by in a blur. I guess the human mind can only take but so much childlike wonder and amazement before the memories start to run together. Before she knew it, Sandy and her family were packing up the minivan to head back home. After a few more days of driving, they finally made it home and unpacked their things, but something was wrong. Sandy noticed that somehow, there was no longer just one Faye, but two. She didn't trust either of them, getting a strange feeling that each of the three-year-old girls were aware of some hidden deception. Shortly after their return, Sandy's parents began going out and purchasing duplicates of clothing, furniture, and other items to accommodate the new addition to the family. I remember talking to Sandy, and both of us being confused about the whole thing, even with our young, normally carefree minds. For quite a while, Sandy's parents simply referred to both girls as Faye, but eventually, they took to calling one of them Kay, short for Kaylin. Now here's where the cinnamon came in. Sandy's mother used to make her favorite cookies, snickerdoodles. After Kay showed up, Sandy complained that her mom never made them anymore. As you may know, cinnamon is a key ingredient. In fact, any traces of cinnamon basically vanished from her house before we even noticed. One time when Kay was about four years old, the four of us were at a mutual friend's house eating cereal. Kay tried a piece of our friend's cereal that was flavored with cinnamon sugar. She quickly spat it out, saying that it was, quote, icky. However, as she recoiled and grimaced, I was watching her. I noticed that she began to undergo some extremely disturbing changes. Shortly after the food entered her mouth, her tongue and lips blackened, and there was a brief shift in texture to something less than human. It was as if her skin had become charred and burned, with the blackness spreading across her lower jaw and up to her nose, before retracting back to normal with frightening speed. The only reason I noticed it was because I was so distrustful of her. I usually found myself staring at her with a constant sense of suspicion. Faye, the original one, I think, had been eating the cereal by the handful. Kay started crying and knocked the cereal out of her sister's grasp, making her wash her hands before dragging her back to their house down the street. Sandy's mother later forbade the children from visiting that house, based on something that Kay told her. We never found out what. The strangest part of all this is that Sandy's parents never acknowledged what happened. Not even once. The mysterious appearance of an extra child in their home. The clear lack of preparation that made them have to go out and buy duplicates of everything. And countless other effects that come along with having one more child than you planned for. Kay had the mysterious ability to make her presence seem so... unextraordinary. Eventually, I lost touch with Sandy and her bizarre family, after a series of bitter fights and arguments between her and I. 
We basically ripped each other to shreds, emotionally. I didn't see them again until the late 90s when my brother died. For some reason, Kay had clearly developed an intense hatred of me. I found out that over the years, Faye had been constantly sick with flus and other maladies, but no one could figure out exactly why. Sandy finally moved away out of town when her parents divorced. So, as I said, I want to caution Randy on the acceptance of such a thing. He and his wife jokingly considering themselves to have three children instead of two. I would hate for them to end up like Sandy's parents, having one of their children truly mimicked, with no knowledge of which is the original one. What's even worse is that a mimic can tie its life force with its victim, and in that case, they really will have three children. Two normal ones, natural ones, and one that's secretly a demonic parasite with an extreme allergy to cinnamon. Anyway, thank you for listening, Mr. X. See you in the comments. Becca Greetings, friends. First of all, Thanks as always for patiently waiting for my life to make room for these wonderful stories. Whenever I have a few moments to sit down, write, record and edit and produce these works, it's a very special thing to me. When it comes to my many hobbies which include drawing, sewing, fighting and many others, this process, though complex and challenging at times, is probably my favorite, though I do like fighting. Things have been well on my end, if you're wondering. Work has been interesting. I recently kind of had the opportunity to participate, albeit in a very small way, in the rescue of a paraplegic dog that was trapped in her owner's car. It was a good time. Anyway, let me know in the comments what you thought about this story. I know it was a bit short, but I found it particularly intriguing. I was thinking about that fact that Sandy's parents never seemed to acknowledge or understand that there was something wrong going on in their house, and I even wonder if, perhaps, little Kaylin, the mimic, if her presence was what drove her parents to divorce, or Sandy and Becca's relationship to crumble. Who knows what the presence of such a creature in your house 24-7, what effect it can have on your psyche or your heart, your mind, maybe even your soul. So, I have a feeling Randy is going to hear this story and uh, take the advice regarding the cinnamon that Rebecca was kind enough to offer. I really hope that he doesn't end up like Sandy's poor parents and accepting such a bizarre and unreal situation in their lives. And honestly, I wish that family the best as well, even though I know they've already in some ways been severely affected. Just goes to show there's although I'm sure there's no way of verifying things like this, to claim that you understand what's going on in the world, to the full extent of it all, is just beyond arrogance and hubris. We should always be humble with our opinions and realize when we don't know the whole picture. We don't know the truth. You can seek it all you want. You can seek it all your life. But who knows if and when you'll ever find it. In my opinion, the best way to go is to just be humble, acknowledge that you might be right or wrong, and the person next to you might be right or wrong. You could all be right, or you could all be wrong. We live in a world where there may simply never be a method of proving which way is right or wrong, what's true and what's not. 
Anyway, I hope this message finds you well, my friend. If you're a ride or die, and you enjoyed this video, give it a thumbs up, subscribe, and share with your friends. At this point, we're pretty well on our way to 10k, 10,000 subscribers. I never thought that would be a realistic goal in mind. I hope to make it by the end of the year. Until next time, my friends. I'm Mr. X, and may your nights be full of dreams. Dear Mr. X, My name is Anna. I wanted to tell you about a disturbing encounter I had with what I can only describe as black-eyed kids. I'm not sure how much reading you've done on these creatures, but I have a feeling this may be unlike any story you've heard before. So, a couple of years ago, I was at home reclining on a couch in my living room, doing some late-night homework assignments. It was around midnight. I noticed the hairs begin to stand up on the back of my neck as I suddenly got the strong feeling I was being watched. I got up and looked around me, and when my gaze passed by the front window, my heart jumped out of my chest. I caught a glimpse of three, probably teenaged boys, standing under a streetlight across the street from my house. They were wearing black sweaters with the hoods pulled up, and black jeans. Before I continue, let me quickly explain the layout of the living room. There's a couch facing a fireplace with a window on either side. Then, there's another couch that faces the front door, with a window adjacent to the door. We didn't have a peephole in the door, so we would usually look out the window when someone rang the doorbell. The couch I was sitting on was the one facing the front door and window. When I saw the boys, I was a little unnerved, but wrote them off, so I just got back to my homework. However, that feeling of unease didn't go away. Instead, it slowly festered, becoming more intense over time, creeping up on me until I had to do something. I turned my head up again to see that the front window was now blocked. I couldn't see out of it. I slowly sat up and focused my vision before realizing that one of the boys was standing directly in front of the window blocking my view. I let out a deep, gasping breath as I recoiled in terror. One thing I forgot to mention, I live in a split-level home. The reason why this was so scary was because the window that he blocked is past the end of the small deck with stairs leading up to the front door. The area below that window is about 10 feet off the ground. How he was able to stand there at all boggles my mind to this day. Once I saw him, a soft knocking started to ring out from the door before I could regain my bearings. The knocks almost seemed to echo through my head as I stared at the boy in the window. I could see his eyes. They were black like onyx. The entire surface of each eye was an endless void. I felt a visceral urge to get out of my house as quickly as possible, like I was being called, pulled to do so. I had to resist no matter what because I knew that it was what the boys wanted. They seemed to be waiting for me to heed that call. I calmly closed my computer screen, got up, and shuffled by the window making my way to the stairs up to my room. The boy in the window simply stood there motionless. Ten or fifteen minutes later, I came back down 
pausing for a moment on the landing and the stairs to peek out another window. The three boys were back underneath the streetlight, appearing to have a conversation when all three of them turned and stared up at me with those soulless pits where their eyes should have been. I did my best to ignore them as I turned the lights off, gathered my things and went back upstairs. As I went to turn off the last light, I saw through another window door that there were two more boys standing in my patio. These two were definitely older and taller than the first three. They were dressed the same, but I could see a bit of their hair peeking out from beneath their hoods. One blonde, one brunette. They each stepped into the light when they saw me notice them. My only thought was, Oh, hell no. As I quickly made my way back up to my room. Ever since that night, the feeling of unease has never completely left me. Whenever it's dark out, I can sense them watching from the shadows. For as long as I can remember, I've always been known to get the strong urge to take walks late at night, especially when I couldn't sleep, which was pretty frequently. Not wanting to let them get the better of me, I decided to go for an early morning walk a few weeks after that incident. It was around 3 a.m., but that was something I was accustomed to anyway. I put on some warm clothes, grabbed my house key and went down the stairs. I chalked it up to my paranoia when I thought I saw someone standing in the corner of another living room window. However, this feeling of dread hit me as soon as I went outside and locked the door behind me. I almost turned back, but I didn't want them to defeat me. I gritted my teeth and went down the stairs to get to the sidewalk. I was stricken with terror when I looked down the street and saw the shadowy, hooded forms of several boys standing side by side, only about a block down the road. I quickly turned around to see a similar group of boys blocking the road in the opposite direction, boxing me in. I made a beeline for my front door, and my hands shook as I fumbled with the key to get myself back inside. Lately, I've been seeing them in my dreams. The settings and occurrences are always different but the message remains the same. We're coming for you. It truly freaks me out. Thank you for listening, Mr. X. Take care. Greetings to my fellow dreamers, old and new. If this is your first time listening to my voice, allow me to welcome you to the Legion. Here, as long as you wish to stay, I will regale you with tales of many kinds, true accounts of the bizarre and unexplained, original works of fiction, and anything else that happens to pique my interest. I've been seeing many new faces over the past couple of weeks, since I began releasing these hour-long compilation videos, so I just wanted to give you guys a heads up and take a few minutes to let you know what this channel is about, and what you can expect. That's one of the reasons why I left some of that post-story commentary in some of the entries that you just heard. So, I have plans for a few more of these long format videos, to include one featuring primarily non-paranormal stories. I also have one for creepypastas, shadow people, nightmares, glitches in the matrix. But I don't want you to have the expectation that this is the normal type of video that I always produce. 
each one of these individual stories takes several hours for me to produce because I do all the research, the writing, performance, and editing, not to mention sound effects and music and things like that. So what I've been doing over the past few weeks is collecting my existing body of work into these compilations, mainly because I really don't have time currently to produce the normal 10 to 15 minute videos that are more common to my channel. Soon I'll be going back to those normal shorter videos. Then once a new crop of those have been released and in circulation, I'll do a few more of those compilations. So in the meantime, there are plenty of specific playlists to choose from on my channel if you really want to have a non-stop listening experience. I have a playlist for true scary stories, one for creepypastas, and a whole bunch of other categories. Most of the individual videos actually offer a little bit more in the department of bonus commentary and theories and updates about some of the people involved, which I actually removed from the compilation videos just to streamline it a little bit because it seems like sometimes people don't really like to hear that during a long session of just sitting and listening to stories. If you're interested, I also have what I consider the crown jewel of my YouTube writing career so far. is about a four hour long story, kind of in audiobook format. I wrote and performed myself called The Dreamer. It's kind of an epic supernatural paranormal adventure type of story and uh, I think you'll really enjoy it. The links to all these things I'm talking about are all going to be in the description box down below. So anyway, what did you think about these stories you just heard? What was your favorite? Do you love me like I love you? Let me know in the comments section down below. If you enjoy my videos, please share them with your friends and make sure you subscribe and turn on those notifications to make sure you don't miss my next move. Until next time, my dear friends, I'm Mr. X, and may your nights be full of dreams. Oh, and by the way, if you're hearing this message, you've proven yourself to be a special kind of listener. If you're not already, now's your chance to embark on the path of becoming an elite member of my following, attaining the coveted title of Ride or Die. All you have to do is include the word sublime in your comment. Doesn't matter how, and I will know that I have a dedicated listener in you. Keep this secret just between the two of us for now. It's always a treat to see my special code words peppered throughout the comments section, letting me know who the true followers are. The more of my videos you listen to, the more sense this will make. Anyway, take care my friends. Hello again, my dreamers. Mr. X Dreams here. I wanted to thank you for listening to the Mr. X Dreams podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Like I said before, make sure you follow this podcast for countless journeys to come. Don't forget, if you can, please leave a five-star rating and review. It'd be very much appreciated, and it certainly helps out. If you feel I deserve it, that is. Also, if you have a scary story of your own to share, Reach out to me at mr.xdreams54 at gmail.com. That's mr.xdreams54 at gmail.com. You might even hear it on a future episode of the show.
Once again, thanks for listening, my friend. I hope you're well. Enjoy your day, night, weekend, or whatever's coming next. I wish you the best in all your endeavors. Until next time, I'm Mr. X, and may your nights be full of dreams. <laughs>